0: Hi, Liz Winstead, co-creator of The Daily Show and founder of Abortion Access Front, or as we call it, Abortion AF. Abortion AF is a nonprofit created by activists, organizers, and a variety of showbiz types who want to use our talents and platforms to raise awareness to the erosion of abortion access and create programs that help us reclaim this fundamental right. We help connect local abortion providers and activists with their community so folks can learn how to help clinics stay open, patients access care, and reverse the current decimation of bodily autonomy. We also get into good trouble, exposing the lies of the anti-abortion movement, at their churches, their rallies, and their religious-based fake abortion clinics where creepy people doing some sort of medical cosplay demonize folks seeking abortion care instead of providing it. Oh yeah, and our weekly podcast, Feminist Buzzkills Live, we use facts and humor to wade through the ever-changing news in this hellscape. To learn more or to make a donation, visit aafront.org. Exposing sexist ass clowns has never been more rewarding. TV is filmed for a last studio audience being held against their will.
1: So, Randy, thank you so much for joining me on. My pleasure. Weibo TV. Could you tell us what you're working on?
2: Um, I am working on two different things right now. Number one, I am promoting the heck out of my my first novel, which is coming out in August. It's called Tune In Tomorrow. It is a humorous pop culture fantasy about a reality show run by mythical creatures, but staff, but basically all the actors on it are human. Uh, it is for a mythical audience who thinks it's real, which is why it's a reality show, but like most reality shows, we know that it's heavily scripted. So so that's the, main, that's the first thing I'm doing is I'm, I'm learning all about promotion. I'm learning all about how, just how hard you can tell everybody about your book uh, and how many times. And then the second thing I'm doing is I am working on a possible sequel for the book. Uh, it's not quite with the, all the same characters and not quite in the same situation, but kind of in the universe, as we like to say in the spec thick world um i some of the characters may make a reappearance but i um but yeah it's meant to take place in a slightly different location with the concept being similar what are what what mythical entertainments are these uh, fantastic creatures creating that they want us to star in so those I, are the two things i'm working on right now
1: i was i was really fascinated by this cuz you're you're building a sequel series in parallel to the book. And I'm curious, like what, what led to that? Because it's, it's just a really smart choice. I wish more people made it because sometimes they think when they put out the book, they're done, right. you know, and then you walk away and you, you don't realize <laughs> you always have to have something else. So you've got that something else already in the can or in progress.
2: Yeah. You know, I, I, so I, I had spoken to my agent and I said, look, um, you know, pretty soon, uh I I, have, like, I already have another book that I could run by them, but they have they have, my publisher, which is Solaris Rebellion, has the first option on any book in the ne- next book in the series. And I said, well, I hadn't planned on doing a series, but if they'll take a look at it, maybe I could think of something. Um, So I think the thing is that a lot of people think that you have to do a linear series. You know, this is the very beginning, here's the middle, and so on and so forth. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, There are a lot of publishing potential tripwires with that. For example, let's say your publisher publishes the first one and the second one, and then drops you on the third one. Well, no one's going to pick up that third book. My thinking has often been, these characters have had their big moment. This is their big story, and we have told that story but what is the rest of the universe doing? You know, how does this all maybe connect indirectly? Are there other really big, great stories going on? So for me, I felt like I had told the reality story side of things. And I just had an idea of what about, what if mythical creatures had all these other little towns that were sort of very specific to a particular trope (laughs) and maybe just provided movies along those lines. Um, so yeah, that was that was kind of my thinking, and I, I and so I spoke to my agent, and she said, yeah, come up with like five chapters and then a synopsis, and they'll probably look at that. That way, like I probably will write the whole book because I like the whole book, but I don't have to write the whole book before I can show it to them and say, oh, here's what I'm. Uh, what I'm working on next, and they right. might say, "Well, then go with God and go with that," as or, or they might say, "That's terrible. We're done with this. Your book didn't do any good, and write something else." So <laughs> it, it gives me a little bit of breathing room, anyway.
1: Which uh, which I think is so important. Um, I I love this concept. So I just would love to hear a little bit about like what the creative process was that brought you to it, and then how once you had it, you started to like build it up.
2: You mean for tune in tomorrow? Yes. Yeah. Right. So, um, so my my whole career has basically been in entertainment journalism. I've written about music. I've written about TV. I've written about film, and I've, that comes to play in all of this. It's, it's meant to be a little backstagey. It's meant to be reflecting on things that I've either seen or people I've interacted with. I worked for a while at a soap opera magazine, and. I just, you know, I, I really respect what they do there. This is not meant to be a goof on soap operas, yes. but soap operas are a little goofy. So it's meant to be completely respectful of the people who put these things together. I mean, people who write soap operas, and I don't think we think about this, the daytime soap operas that you've heard all your life, that's two and a half, that's like, that's, that's two and a half movies every week right. that they are putting on, as opposed to these lazy people who are just putting out, you know, an hour once a week, maybe. And they're crying about how hard it is. So I have a lot of respect for that. Um, yeah. Simultaneously, when I was in college, I worked for the uh, – there was a, um, a cable access news program on campus. This is at Boston University. And I worked behind the scenes there. And the, the thing was, everybody who was on camera – was a professional. Our anchor, our reporters, but everybody behind the scenes was like, you could show up as a freshman and be doing the teleprompter the next day. I mean, <laughs> we were not, <laughs> we didn't. We learned on the job and it was terrific. I mean, I was directing a news program by the time I was a sophomore in college. It was amazing. But I think that stuck with me, this, this duality of um, different types of people putting on the same show. So I think those two things married together, and that's how we ended up with this this concept. It's it's obviously been a very long time marinating, but this is this is the thing that got me excited. And the truth is, I had I had I had given my agent a couple of books that I've already written and said, "Can you sell these?" And the answer was no. <laughs> um, they were quite serious. They were very they were fantasy. They were based in Irish folklore quite a bit and rock and roll. So I was already putting together the pop culture and the fantasy. But she said, look, you know, for whatever reason, these things aren't working. I think you should try something else. And that pushed me just enough to say, maybe I should try funny. Maybe humor is the way to go here instead of being so deadly serious all the time. And based on the fact that the book cut, picked up and will be published, the answer was yes, my agent is a genius. And she knew exactly what to tell me. <laughs> so I, uh, you know, you just got to listen to the, you got to listen to everybody and pick what works for you. But in her case, I'm very glad I trusted her on this. Tired of being tracked online? DuckDuckGo can help. Tracking
3: is a comprehensive program. Trackers lurk nearly everywhere online from websites, emails, and even apps in your phone. That means you need a multi-pronged solution. DuckDuckGo's all-in-one privacy app can be used as an everyday browser with private search, tracking, blocking, encryption, and now email protection built in. It's the free, easy button for online privacy. Download the app today. DuckDuckGo. Privacy simplified.
1: Hey there, boys and girls. It's your old podcast pal, Ralph Garmin here, inviting you to invite me into your ear holes five days a week with my podcast, The Ralph Report. Join me, Eddie Pence, Steve Ashton, and the rest of the happy lunatics that make up the Garmy for as little as 15 cents a day. And for that, you get five shows a week filled with music and jokes and news and history and just so much good stuff that you're going to be glad you chose the Ralph Report. How do you listen? Well, it's pretty simple. Go to patreon.com that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash the Ralph Report and sign up today. There's four amazing levels of subscription that you can join, each one with their own special bunch of benefits. So check it out. Listen to me, Ralph Garman, on The Ralph Report. Patreon.com slash The Ralph Report. And so I'm, I'm curious where, as your time in your time as a journalist, did you find yourself keeping notes? And did you ever think that you were going to go back to them as a resource for fiction?
2: Um, you know, the thing is that notes... The thing is, I do so many interviews, and each interview could last 10, 15, 20 minutes. And when that transcribes out, that is thousands and thousands of words. So it's nice to have that raw material there. I do save everything because I'm uber-organized and I know where everything is just in case I need to put my hands on it. But I didn't go back to those things. What I went back to, if anything, was my memories of the great interviews that I did, the people that I interacted with. And I think those things just kind of stick in your head anyway, but it was a matter of going back and accessing them. A while ago, um, a bunch of years ago, I had this idea of, ooh, what if I created a bunch of mystery short stories, but they all took place on a soap opera set? So I've kind of already been thinking, how can I work with this different background and different kind of characters, but in a sort of familiar setting? Um, so I think that that was. I didn't have to go back to notes because a lot of those things just stuck with me.
1: Was there anything that that drew you in particular to soap operas? Well, I mean, you were so you were writing <laughs> for bad for song, but like, what was the thing that brought you in that direction?
2: Um, they hired me.
0: <laughs>
2: but, but, yeah. I mean, is, you know, I was a, I, I am a freelance writer. I, fr- I was a freelance writer before I got hired at the soap opera magazine. Um, Continue to be a freelancer, even though I, you know, no longer work full time for a magazine. And although I had watched soap operas in high school, I was a big fan of General Hospital. They had all sorts of spy related stuff going on. I'm a big James Bond fan as well as a General Hospital fan. So they had all sorts of weird spy stuff going on. And You know, I was young enough that I hadn't quite parsed out, this is really going to drag out for a very long time, these stories. Um, So I got really into it in the way that people get really into soap operas. But then when I went to college, I kind of fell away from it. But then I was looking for a job and looking for a job, and I came to New York, and I was still looking for a job, and there was an ad in the paper in the New York Times, an actual ad in the classifieds that said, it's like a three-line ad that said you know writer needed and it said soap opera interest a plus and i'm like well i'm interested in soap operas <laughs> i haven't watched them in a while but i'm interested um so i did a bit a little bit of research and um a friend of the family was actually working for all my children and so i spoke to her about some of their storylines so i could sound like i knew what i was talking about i binged on you know the general hospital that i could in the meantime sure and they hired me and i was there for 5 years and it was terrific and i have no complaints except that it it's hard it was hard to watch an industry slowly dying um, it's you know every every week the ratings went down and a little bit more and a little bit more um but i left i left to go to a trade publication i went to go to the hollywood reporter and so it was a it was not an angry thing it was not getting laid off it was just like hey i'm moving on to the next thing
1: Yeah, it it was definitely a generational thing. Um, I, I just think about my grandmother running to the set like a bulldozer at two (laughs) o'clock to see guiding light on CBS or. Whatever channel it was, uh, that was her thing. And right. you could not get between her and her soap opera. So, uh, yo, know, that with that generation slowly fading out. I could see why.
2: But we do it, have soap operas now, though. I mean, that's yes. the thing. It's like, yes, the, on the one right. hand, the daytime, the traditional daytime, every weekday soap opera, that's what's fading out. But so much TV has become soap opera. Yes. You know, the episodics are really not in fashion right now, unless you're a Law and Order fan. Uh, or a CSI fan, or, a, or an NCIS fan. Those are episodics. Everything else, I mean, for God's sakes, Grey's Anatomy has been on, what, 18 seasons? Yeah. Soap opera. Right. That's a soap opera. You know, and it's just a redefinition of what this is. And yes. so it's nice that the, the form is still very attractive. And the fact is that a lot of reality shows that are not competitive, things like Selling Sunset, for example, that's a soap opera too. They even call it a docu soap
0: right. when they
2: advertise it. So it's still very much a vibrant formula. It's just a different. It looks different than it used to when when Grandma was running to the set.
1: Yes, right. Uh, I'd like to ask you a couple of questions just about you and and your how you found yourself on this path. So I'd love to know, like, did you always want to be an author? Like, what was what was the trajectory for you?
2: Yes, that that answer is yes. I. I was writing stories about my stuffed animals when I was still in my single digits. Nice. Um, And then when I was in middle school, I would spend some of my class time, it looked like I was taking notes, but I was actually writing a book, and I would share the chapters with my friends between class, like they would read them in class, and I would write them in class, and um, the ones who missed a chapter, I would read it over the phone to them after we got home at the end of the day. And uh, so I, I, I had been writing long form for a long time and I love writing books, but I was not really a very mature writer in terms of being able to share it with people and get critiques on it. It's not that I thought that I was, you know, a genius and every word I spilled out could not ever be edited. I just didn't have the, the, the capacity to really take in criticism and understand how many times you have to rewrite something uh, tune in tomorrow. If I look back on all my drafts, there's at least 11 drafts of, of, a, of an over 100,000-word story. So, you know, you have to really like this story to be willing to, willing to do a million words of it before it even sees the light of day. Uh, and I, I guess I didn't, I didn't get that at the time. And that's something, that's something that I would always tell what writers who would come to me. I would say, look get ready for the critique process. Start easy, but you have to be willing to show it to somebody who you're not related to, who does not have an emotional investment in you being happy. And if that person likes it, you're on the road to being able to be a pro at this.
1: Absolutely. Did you did you find any advice along the way that you, that helped in keeping you on track or just inspiring you to keep going?
2: Um. Yes. I mean... While I was freelancing early on, before I got the soap opera magazine job, I did a lot of temp work. <laughs> and and again, looking busy is very important when you're a temp or you're in middle school class. But if you're looking busy, they will leave you alone most of the time. And so I did a lot of writing during my temp work. But skipping past that, what really helped me once I got to the level of, I'm willing to go out in the world and possibly show this to people and talk to people about maybe being a writer and maybe getting some things published. Um, There was a great, I I started going to science fiction fantasy conventions and I think a lot of people have in mind, it's either a comic con, which is crazy or it's some very small thing where people are walking around wearing Spock ears and there's nothing wrong with that. But sci-fi fantasy conventions are a whole ecosystem under themselves And they're full of a lot of independent creators, not just writers, but people who do pottery or people who do clothing or people who do tea. It's really interesting to go to these things. And there was a huge amount of support that I found, not only from fellow writers there, but there was an organization that I'm I'm still a member of called Broad Universe. And they're at broaduniverse.org. And they are a... It's a networking group for uh, female and female-identifying and non-binary authors. So... It, you know, you, there's, a, there's a little there's a little fee every year, but basically, if you go to a con, and they'll have a table set up, and you could sell your books there. You don't have to buy your own table. You already have this this group of, of women around you um, to to bounce things off of who are independently publishing their works in most cases. So that was an enormously helpful thing because I suddenly had an, an, a group of people I could I could run all my work by who I could know I know I would get professional feedback, but I would get Kind feedback; it wouldn't be just one-upmanship in some sort of weird writers' group or anything. So, I, I like to point to them as being a terrific organization who really, really helped me and, and boosted me up when I when I finally was ready to dive in.
3: This is Rosie Tran from Rosie and BJ Save the World, a podcast asking big questions and discussing how to solve these big issues. This is a podcast for people just like you who ask: Has the war on drugs been successful? Do we need universal basic income? Should we legalize sex work? Go to rosieandbjsavetheworld.com to get more confused.
1: Do you want to grow your audience without sacrificing your privacy? Then the Stupid Sexy Privacy mini-series is just for you. It's a short, special presentation that will run every Thursday morning right here on WeiWo.tv for the next 23 weeks. In each short episode, we'll teach you how to preserve as much of your privacy as possible while still participating in the creator economy. You'll also hear from top privacy and disinformation experts who will teach you how to protect yourself from fascists and weirdos. And who doesn't want that? So make sure you're subscribed to WeWo where all podcasts can be found, and we'll see you every Thursday morning for a special presentation of Stupid Sexy Privacy, a WeWo TV mini series. you if you could go back to your younger self that was that was writing stories for you about just stuff animals, what what would you tell them?
2: Um. Well, I wouldn't want to tell them it would take this long to get (laughs) your book published because that might completely short circuit the process. Um, What I would say is a little of what I was just mentioning, which is be prepared, be prepared to show this around, be prepared to take the knocks. It's gonna hurt. It's gonna feel like you have no idea what you're doing because you don't. But the only way you're gonna learn how to know what you're doing is by showing this to people who do know what they're doing and listening to them. Um, there's a there's a great quote from Neil Gaiman which basically says, you know, if somebody tells you what they think is wrong with with your writing, they're probably right, but if they tell you how to fix it, they're probably wrong. And hearing that and then also ingesting the idea of I can listen to multiple people and pick and choose what it is I want to listen to from that. It's not as though I get a critique and all of a sudden... I now have a list of things that must be fixed. If I hear from somebody and they say, "Eh, this didn't work for me, that's fine. But if, if seven people say that, this didn't work for me, this character is not believable, whatever, then I think I really have to go back and look at it and retool something because you can write for yourself as long as you want, but once you want to take it out into the world... You need to make sure that you're really communicating. It's not just you sitting in your room anymore. If you're not communicating. You're not telling your story. And then it's it's, it's not fair to the story.
1: When did you know that you were at that point where you were like, I am good enough to be published? Like, when was that <laughs> moment for you when you were like, I, like I'm ready?
2: Um, the fact is, this is going to sound terrible. I read some other people who had been published. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I saw some of the stuff sure. that was getting out there, and not it was not always uniformly terrible. Obviously, there's wonderful stuff out there, but I would see some things that people had published. And I'm thinking, well, if that's good enough. I can totally do that. Or I, I know that my thing is more polished or has more resonance or whatever than that. So it was kind of thinking, okay, and, and then it was a matter of finding the right places to put it. You know, there's a million reasons why you get published or not published, and only a small fraction of them have to do with the quality of the writing. You know, there's it's there's so much luck involved, which sounds silly once you, you know, if, if you go out and say, well, yes, I'm getting published, but there's so much luck involved. There is. There really is. Networking is so much more huge than I realized it would be. I used to think I could do it on my own. We have this vision of, Hemingway sitting alone in his studio and just banging out anything and goes to the publisher directly and it's published like a week later. This is not how that works. Certainly not, it might be how it works for him, but it certainly doesn't work like <laughs> that today, and certainly not for me. Um, so it it you know, I I sort of lost a little bit of the track there, but <laughs> um, but yeah, it's 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 a lot of luck and it's a lot of reading other stuff to see what's out there, and then it's a lot of just you know, having, having the bravery to take the plunge. If, if you keep your stuff to yourself all the time, again, there's nothing wrong with that. But a lot of people want to read it and a lot of people want to see it. And one thing I did forget to mention, one of the things that did help me push me along was in those years of temping and writing and temping and writing, I did a certain amount of fan fiction and there were people who wanted to read that. And it was very it was, it was exciting to be like writing something and immediately get feedback on it because I could show it to people who were fans of the fandom and they wanted to read it. And it maybe didn't have to be publishable quality, but it made me believe like, oh, wait a minute, I can actually put words together. So that was a big help.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Now I have time for just two more questions, but before we get to them, tell us where to find the book. How do we pre-order it? Where do we find your other books? Where do we find you?
2: Sure. So everything you can want you, all all those things can be found on my webpage, which is randydawn.com. And it's randy r-a-n d-e-e dawn, d-a-w-n dot com. Now on there there's a page for all the books, which have links to where you can buy them. There um there's a page for my newsletter, which I hope you'll sign up for because you get a free book and you get all sorts of free stuff. Um, there is a, and there's also a link on there to a reading series that I hold uh, once a month in Brooklyn at an ice cream place called Ample Hills Creamery. It's called Rooftop Readings at Ample Hills. Now, so if you're in Brooklyn, please come. Uh, but all that stuff is right on my webpage, and you will find it there. You can pre-order, tune in tomorrow. I highly recommend that you do, because it act, you don't know how important that is for authors to get pre-orders. Pre-orders are big. And what I like to tell people is, Get a present for yourself now. And then when it arrives in August, you would be like, oh, I forgot. I got this. This is great. I just sent myself a present. Uh, and it's a perfect beach read. It really is. I mean, in the middle of August, you're going to go to the beach. You need something to read. This is the kind of thing you could totally bring to the beach. So RandyDawn.com is the best place to go.
1: And I want to totally stress the pre-orders matter so much. Like, just with my book, I knew that we needed to open big, especially on Amazon. Like, if you're a first-time author, you want there to be a lot of momentum. So, yeah. So, please do. Uh, I'm going to pre-order the book, and I'm going to encourage everyone to do the same. (laughs) Uh, So, the two questions I have last. The first, I meant to ask you this at the first uh, when I started, but then forgot. Uh, So. I want to ask you what TV show you are currently watching and why you think we should watch it next.
2: Let's see. Uh, we are constantly bouncing around on a lot of shows. But I think the show that's exciting me the most is uh, the new Star Trek, actually. Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm totally blanking on the title. It's the new one with, with Captain Strange Tuck. New Worlds. Strange New Worlds. Thank you very much. Uh, what I, one thing I like about it is I do like the other Star Treks. But I'm very happy that they now have a Star Trek that is back to the episodics. Yes. It's not a grand sweeping, oh my God, we've skipped ahead 3,000 years in the future or, uh, we are in a parallel universe of death. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's back. I, I'm getting the impression that although there will be some through lines, the episodic element is, is very digestible. You don't have to hold all these different big stories in your head. Um, and I feel like it's it's a place where the it's a it's a seat where the uh, the series sits best in a lot of ways. Yes. Um, I, I appreciate what they've been doing, and it's funny because we were talking earlier about all these episodic soap opera type stuff. But it is nice to have within the num- within all the shows that you do watch an episodic here or there that just yes. feeds you, and you can go to bed.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I found that that is the show right now that I look forward to watching every week. Yeah. Uh, and I, and for that reason, because it's episodic, because in an hour it's over and I don't need to take anything with me in process, it, exactly. but you can enjoy it. Um, so my last question for you is what I ask everybody, and it's, what's something you've always wanted to be asked in an interview that you just haven't been asked yet?
2: <laughs> the truth is I haven't done a ton of interviews. I I, I do them. I'm usually on your side of things. <laughs> <so> <laughs> I'm used to that. Uh, but I haven't done but so many interviews where people ask me what I'm thinking um, you know in, in a jokey way i not even so much a jokey way I would love for the question to be uh, so I'm from Netflix can I give you a gazillion dollars yeah. for the adaptation of your of your books uh, to which I would say yes please um, I think the question is hmm that, and that there's so many great questions and I think you've asked a lot of them The question I might say is you know, What advice do you have for writers, you know, somebody who wants to be a writer? And I would say, then write, you know, I know it sounds very reductive, but that is the thing that will do it. Even if you just write 300 words a day, if you write two words a day, if you write anything on a regular basis, try to sit down where it's quiet, where you don't, I I get up, I get up early in the morning. I'm up at like seven in the morning. And one of the first things I try to do is get my writing in because I haven't checked emails. I haven't heard voicemails. There's nobody ringing the doorbell. It's a very quiet time. My brain can just go directly from my dream state to what I want to put on the page, and that's what I would usually say if somebody says, "What advice do you have for writings?" That that that's the kind of thing I would say. Just keep writing.
4: This is Greg Goldstein, and I'm the applause sign operator here at Weiwo TV. But. Turning this cute little sign-on is only a small part of what I do with the show. I also pay the bills. So if you like what you just heard, and you want to hear more episodes of Weiwo TV, let me share with you how I make the money to pay those bills. Knock knock. Who's there? Broken pencil. Broken pencil who? Never mind, there's no point. Did you know that laughter is a distinctive human characteristic meant to help calm us down? You see, the business of marketing may be ever-changing, but people have been documented trying to make each other laugh since ancient Greece. That's why, at That Funny Agency, we're more than just digital marketing professionals with years of big agency experience. We're also professional comedians, artists, actors, writers, and musicians who have a unique insight into the science of happiness At our digital marketing agency, we use our innate humor to bring people closer together. Customer to business, collaborator to client, friend to friend. It's almost like funny is our middle name. Oh wait, it is. So come laugh with us, journey with us, grow with us at thatfunnyagency.com. We're That Funny Agency. Strategic 360 degree digital marketing by unapologetically funny people. That's it for this episode of Waywo TV. Our announcer, editor, and producer is Jonathan Ingram. Additional editing is provided by Andrew Van Borges, and those dulcet tones you hear are those of Rosie Tran, Crix Lee, Colton Hagen, and Elise Randall Monica. And of course, our show is hosted. By Mr. BJ Mendelson, recording at the George Carlin Podcast Studio. So folks, stay strong, stay safe, and stay sexy. Thanks for listening.
1: Okay, your 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 middle name is Macho. But uh, I'm wondering if you ever cry. You ever has Macho man ever cried? Oh yeah. Really? Uh-huh. It's okay for macho men to show every emotion available right there, you know. Because I've cried a thousand times, I'm going to cry some more. But I've soared with the eagles and I've slithered with the snakes and I've been everywhere in between. And I'm going to tell you something right now. There's one guarantee in life and that there are no guarantees. Yeah. And... understand
4: this
1: (laughs) nobody likes a quitter nobody said life was easy so if you get knocked down
3: take the standing eight count get back up and fight again did you enjoy today's show if you did please take a minute and leave us a review yes we know you're busy and every podcast asks you to do this but there's a good reason they do, because every time you leave a review, that review helps more people find and listen to the show. And you know what that means for you? More great episodes of Weiwo.tv. So what are you waiting for? Take out your phone and leave us a review right now before you move on to something else and forget about us. And we'll see you next time, right?